Hi, this is Will McCamey, president of Thorn. I'm really, really excited to spend a Saturday afternoon with two of my favorite people, functional medicine geniuses and good friends of mine, Dr. Frank Lipman and Dr. Bob Roundtree. Bob Roundtree is Thorne's chief medical officer and he's the founder of Boulder Wellcare in Boulder, Colorado. And Frank Lipman is the founder and medical director of 1111 Wellness and the medical director of The Well, both in New York City. Gentlemen, it's good to see you guys. Glad to see you guys are safe and your families are well. I uh, appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to us today. One of the things I really, really am curious about for both Frank and Bob is what's going on in your communities? What do you see in New York City? What do you see in Boulder? And what, what's kind of going on with the whole dynamic around the pandemic of COVID-19 in your area? Well, I'll start because I'm in New York City, which is uh, the epicenter. And uh, in, you know, I'm not on the front lines, but from friends and colleagues on the front lines, it's been really hard. <clears throat> Hospitals have been overloaded. People have been really sick. It's been a major problem. What I'm seeing in my practice or hearing from in my practice are people uh, who either haven't been that sick, a lot of the people who actually haven't been that sick and who have had it, often have had a healthy lifestyle, been taking certain supplements, which is obviously anecdotal, anecdotal, but I'm definitely hearing that. The second pattern I'm seeing is people seem to be, or some people seem to be having this for a long time. They seem to get over the initial infection and then they get reinfected or something secondary happens that can last for a cup, not just not just usually a week or two. Sometimes it goes on for three weeks, even in longer. Some people. Um, the the other pattern that we're seeing is that generally the healthy people, or what we would call metabolically healthy people, are doing better. And the people who are dying or not doing so well are people who have diabetes, heart disease, obese chronic illness, but generally what we would call metabolically unhealthy. Um, those are the patterns we're seeing. And lastly, social distancing definitely works. I mean, New York, we seem to have hit a peak. It seems to be going down. So um, we need to continue doing that. And as it spreads throughout the country in your uh, neck of the neighborhood to Florida, I hope they get a little bit smarter about social distancing. But um, that's yeah. what I would tell you what's happening in what I'm seeing in New York. Um, well, it's definitely here. We haven't been hit nearly to the same level uh, as New York. I think the whole state of Colorado has got uh, confirmed around 6,500 cases. And, you know, the experts are saying there's probably at least a 10 to 1 ratio of people that haven't been confirmed. So that means, you know, we maybe have 65,000 cases or so my in my area boulder county um there's you know a few hundred cases and only i should say only about 10 deaths you know when would you ever say only 10 deaths as you know something to kind of downplay the significance of something well that's just in comparison to new york so we haven't we just haven't been hit as hard and the, the whole question is whether we started social distancing early enough uh, to have already begun to flatten the curve. Um, the big question that 
goes on in Boulder in my community, which is now not quite a ghost town, but the streets are quiet. You know, we have a lot of uh, shopping areas and a downtown mall that's world famous that, you know, normally packed with people, especially this beautiful springtime of year. Um, and we have lots of athletes, you know, people are here from all over the world to train, uh, you know, bike racing, runners. And so the big debate that's going on right now is what can you do? How can you safely get outdoors? And, you know, if you're jogging, even if you've got a, a mask or even just a bandana on, uh, is that enough to protect the other people that you could potentially infect if you're asymptomatic? Um, you know, there's, there's not much debate that if a person has got symptoms, if they got a fever and a cough, then they should stay home. But what about somebody who feels fine? you know, potentially is infected, but doesn't know it, um, are you gonna tell them to stay home? And so the, the whole question is this sort of uh, seesaw uh, between your mental health and your physical health. If you stay home, you know, for months on end, you never go outside, that's pretty bad for your mental health. So, you know, we're, we're really kind of in the midst of a, of a discussion. We've got a lot of atmospheric researchers in Boulder. So the kind of discussions that we're having about aerosol transmission, the slipstream, uh, you know, what happens when somebody's just breathing out hard, what kind of particles are being released. People are talking about it on the level of physics. Right, right. I, they're talking about it on the level of physics. They're not just saying, hey, I think you should stay home or, whatever, you know, they're talking about particle dispersion. And I'm seeing these, these discussions on the local board, something called Next Door, discussions about particle dispersion. Right, right. You know, and air, and you know, dynamics of airflow and things like that. So that's, the, that's what's going on in my area. So Frank, the, as an acupuncturist, you know, you can't work directly with clients you're doing it on telehealth, you're doing it over Zoom and so forth. What are some of the things that you're recommending to your patients to manage the anxiety, manage the stress, manage kind of the, the you know, how they're feeling, it's kind of chaotic about how they deal with things on a day-to-day -day basis? There's two pandemics. There's a pandemic of COVID-19 and then there's also the pandemic of the anxiety and the fear because of the virus. And, um, we can't control the virus per se, but we can control our reaction to it. And the way we do that is by learning relaxation techniques. So for people who are hyper and can't sit still, exercise, yoga, um, any type of movement, dancing around your living room, listening to some Bob Marley, um, anything like that can be helpful. But anything to to uh, activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So I'm a huge fan of meditations, changed my life. You know, we tell people to use apps like um, Headspace, Headspace yeah. uh, Insight Timer, Journey Meditation. There are all these apps um, that you can use that are, are having meditations. The Well actually has classes, meditation classes, yoga classes. There's so much going on. I mean, I think it's an interesting time because this is a really good time to actually start creating these new habits because the other thing I'm seeing with patients is that people, I'm, I'm seeing New Yorkers who are like are pretty like go, 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 go. 
and their routine, they, they can't come to terms with slowing down because they're so used to getting up early, going to the gym, doing the, you know, I have so many of these women are these super women who, you know, have kids and husbands and, and jobs and they're struggling with the slower lifestyle of this. It's a little bit different in Boulder, I'm sure. And I think this, the, the, the loss of their routine is a big thing. So what I'm encouraging people is to try create some healthy habits, you know, new routines, because you're going to be living like a variation of, of this for a long time. So try to go to bed at the same time, try to wake up at the same time, eat meals at the same time, get some structure and routine in your life and start developing new habits like meditation. So it's an interesting time because we can use it positively. I know it's a difficult thing to do, but we can use it positively. I mean, as Bob will say, I mean, all the stuff that we're recommending now, stuff we've been recommending for the last 20, 30 years, is just a little <laughs> bit more urgent for people. Yeah, very. Yeah, yeah it's the whole, well, all the wellness practices. Yep. Suddenly, the whole population's interested in them. Right, 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 right. And, exactly. You know, and Frank made a point earlier, is like, um, you know, his, he's got a lot of people that, even though they seem to be getting the infection, are doing well. Um, and, and um, you know, that's not to downplay how serious this is and terrible it is for, you know, significant percentage of people that do catch the infection. But, the, you know, the million dollar question here is why are so many people asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic with the infection? Why aren't we studying that more? Why isn't that the number one thing we're studying is what's different about the immune systems of those people that, you know, maybe they lose their taste for a, a week or they cough a little bit, they get a fever, and then they're fine. Yeah, exactly. What's well, different? I, you know, I, this is, look, this is anecdotal, and I'm not being like Trump and saying this is the cure because it's a tricky thing. I mean, it's, everything's become so politicized. But what I will say, I have gotten so many emails from patients thanking me for getting them to go on a low carb diet for um, eating well, for meditating, for dealing with their stress, for, you know, I use NAC, I use quercetin a lot, I use curcumin a lot, for putting on these putting them on these supplements, which I actually do believe help. I mean, I can't say for sure. I'm not going to get up there and say this is a cure. But I am, you know, I've got to say I'm pretty confident that as Bob was saying, these patients who actually change their lifestyles are eating well and are taking these supplements seem to be doing much better. So there's, there's got to be something there. And as Bob says, why aren't we studying those people? You know, when, when, uh, when I was in my medical training, you know, they talk about, what, you know, what do you do if you come upon someone who's unconscious? And they talk about the ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation. Well, for viral prevention, I talk about the ABCDZ, ABCDZ. Right, vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc, you know, provide this foundation of nutrition that I think help everyone's immune system work better. You know, people ask me, well, if I get sick, should I start taking vitamin C then? I'm like, why would you wait until you're sick? Why not start the vitamin C now? There's pretty good data that vitamin C keeps your immune system in tip-top shape. Same thing with vitamin D. Same thing with just basic B vitamins. You don't need massive amounts. 
uh, but just covering the bases for your B vitamins. All of those things are really critical. And just a, a little bit of zinc, you know, you don't need hundreds of milligrams of zinc. You need, what, 50, 60 milligrams. Yeah, exactly. So maybe build, building upon that, both Bob and Frank, maybe could you comment on some of the natural compounds you're recommending to your patients and to your loved ones that are, you know, efficacious during, during this time to kind of really, if in, in a sense, what you're describing is these compounds that help to kind of keep the shields up, you know, the ABCDZ, you know, keep, you know, kind of keep everything well so that you don't kind of don't go down a, a path of being more susceptible to the infection uh, or the, you know, or, or attempt from the virus itself. I would say some of the best research is on quercetin. Um, and, you know, what is quercetin? It's, it's, well, besides being one of my all-time favorite supplements going on 35 years, that's, I've been prescribing it for that long, uh, is a yellow pigment that's found in most fruits and vegetables, but especially rich in apple skins and, and onions, especially red onion skins. So, you know, onion soup is a really good source of quercetin. But most people, if they're eating salads, they're getting quercetin. So, you know, you're already eating it in your diet. But it was discovered years and years ago that quercetin um, is a really good immune supportive agent. Um, some of the early research was on allergies because quercetin stabilizes a type of white blood cell called mast cells. Mast cells release histamine. Histamine is what causes all that nasal congestion and sneezing that you get with allergies and with the cold. The one thing about quercetin is that it's very poorly absorbed. Um, so you have to take a lot of it if you're just buying straight quercetin powder. We're talking 3,000 milligrams or so a day. But there was a study on quercetin phytosome, which is quercetin that's bound to sunflower lecithin. Um, and that study showed that it dramatically enhanced the absorption of, of the quercetin. So if you're taking uh, quercetin phytosome, you need generally one or two caps once or twice a day. Yeah, so about five, maybe about 500 to 1,000 milligrams. Yeah, 500 to 1,000 milligrams. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is not yeah. a lot. It's, you know, inexpensive, safe, non-toxic. Kids can take it. Little kids can take it. So I, yeah. it's my top supplement where I just think everyone should take this. And then, you know, if there's any indication that an infection is coming on, you can triple that dose. You can do like 500 three times a day. Frank, you use quercetin, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I've been using it more often now, but I, I, I haven't used it as much as you do, but I do. And now I've, I've been taking it as well. But I, I, I use it, uh, um, but I'm actually starting to use the, the thorn, you know, quercetin phytosome because, as you said, it's better absorbed. I've usually been using it in other formulas, and obviously it's not enough, but um, thanks for that. that yeah, great. I actually have, uh, you know, there's, there's a pretty good reason to believe that, uh, that quercetin is, is a worthwhile thing. Now, I'm not saying, hey, just take the quercetin and you're done. I'm just saying that's the right. top of my list, right? I, I think the, the more the merrier. It's like this is a soup here of immune supportive agents. So can you comment on uh, the benefit of vitamin C and vitamin D? Bob knows more of the actual research for each of these things. You know, I, so probably Bob is better answering them. I, I, you know, vitamin D obviously is one of those nutrients. Also, you can measure it. Um, you know, we see so many people who have low vitamin D, so we, we can assume that most people need vitamin D. 
what I'm actually recommending to people who don't have their their levels measured, just take 5,000 a day in the meantime anyway. Um, 5,000 a day, although some people say it's too much. I've never seen a overdose on 5,000 at all. The most Ever. important thing with vitamin A and vitamin D is they're fat soluble. So what I hear all the time, people take it and they're, not, they're taking it with a salad or they're not taking it with fat and then it's not going to be absorbed. So the important thing about A and D, you need to take it with fat. Otherwise, you're not going to get any D into you. So put the olive oil on your salad. Exactly. So the interesting thing about vitamin D is that if the immune system is under-functioning um, and you add vitamin D, it brings the immune system up to normal functioning level. But if it's over-functioning, it actually down-regulates. It, it decreases the activity of vitamin D, which is why it's been used for autoimmune diseases like multiple sclerosis. Really? Right. So vitamin D is, you know, it, you could call it an adaptogen. Uh, it's really a hormone, not, yep. you know, it, we think of it as a dietary supplement, but it's working like a hormone that, that regulates the immune system. Now, this is an important point because um, I saw a paper that came out of the University of Arizona Integrated Medical Center where they were saying, you know, be really careful with vitamin D because it could cause a cytokine storm uh, in people that have COVID-19. You know what? I've never seen one study that says that this happens, right? I've, it's, it's totally, yeah. it's a fantasy. Yeah. Um, there's also a, a pretty famous nutritionist named Chris Masterton who says, if you're taking vitamin D and you get COVID-19, you better stop it immediately or your immune system's going to go haywire. It's, there's no evidence that that happens. There's just none. Um, and so it's total speculation. I, I'm seeing a lot of this kind of speculation out there. Don't take elderberry if you got COVID because it'll make your immune system go haywire. Well, show me the evidence. You know, if, if you take your immune cells and, um, and, and put them in a test tube and add some elderberry, it activates the immune cells. Well, that's what you want. That's what you want, right? That doesn't, that doesn't mean that herbs like elderberry or echinacea or andrographis or any of these immune-boosting herbs, that doesn't mean that if, if you take them you know, over a period of days that your immune system is going to get boosted into the universe. You know, it's not going to skyrocket into the universe. It's not. Um, it doesn't work that way. It's a, right. it's a fundamental misunderstanding of how these herbs work. Kind of a, another question to ask on this area of you know natural products. Let's talk about how important it is for the gut to be healthy. What 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 does the gut play? The role the gut plays in this whole situation with COVID nineteen. Well, uh, you know we we can assume it plays an important part because there's so much of your immune system is around the gut, um, and. You know, the problem with the gut is it's a real crapshoot. You don't know what you're doing. So, you know, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I actually recommend prebiotics now more than probiotics because yeah. probiotics are very tricky. I mean, I've seen, you know, probiotics, some people do great and some people makes a difference and some people actually can get worse. So probiotics, I've, over the years, seen more and more Problem. Not, I'm all for probiotics. I love probiotics, but they're hard. They're trickier with each person's gut. Prebiotics seem to be a much safer and more effective way to treat the gut. I mean, that's where I'm at 
in this day and age. I don't yep. know. It seems to be where I'm, I'm heading towards. What do you say? But I just find it a little bit easier for people to incorporate prebiotics or less of a problem, put it that way, than you know, probiotics I see some, sometimes people have problems with. We're, I mean, you know, it's funny, Frank, we're finding with our uh, gut bio test with longevity that across the board, a lot of the, the results that come back that people respond better. And through our machine learning platform, we're finding that the recommendation invariably on an individualized basis is more for prebiotics than any probiotics across the board. Yeah, that would be my clinical experience too. I mean, and it just seems, uh, I, I don't know, because I use, I've been using probiotics for so long, I've just become less comfortable with just throwing probiotics to added people and, and much more comfortable and telling them to eat more prebiotics. Well, I, I agree to some extent. Um, I, I would say um, that I don't really see serious problems with people right. reacting to probiotics. Right. Um, yeah. It's more uh, an issue of not knowing exactly which one to use. That's, I think that's the biggest issue. Um, Interesting. I, I, just to clarify, I think uh, that's a good point. But when I say I'm seeing people have problems, it's more a lot of gas and maybe some... Diarrhea, not serious problems, um, yeah. especially with people with SIBO. So that's, thank you for clarifying. When I'm talking about problems, it's more, you know, gas, maybe diarrhea, maybe some other minor, not major problems, but, you know, not, they're just harder to, to pick, put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So I like to have, say, three or four products that I rotate through, and I'll tell the patient, you know, if you have, any, any kind of intestinal reaction to one, then we can switch it to the other. Right. Um, you know, and so I kind of rotate through. Um, so I, I'm using the probiotics in this case as a way to boost immunity, you know? And so it must be working through the gut microbiome, even if we're not dramatically changing the gut microbiome the way that prebiotics do, they're still doing something. I think of probiotics as kind of seeding the clouds. Um, the important thing is that it's not necessary to have massive doses to get this effect. The study on probiotics for preventing respiratory infections, you know, they only used like the 5 billion CFU range. And I think maybe some of the people that are having the problems are the ones that are saying, well, you know, I need 100 to 200 billion CFUs, 500 billion CFUs. You know, because more is more is better. Well, more is not necessarily better. Right. So it's, you're seeding the clouds. Let me ask you guys about the whole concept of social distancing and the impact that has. Uh, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but do you see that this, A, how does social distancing work and how do you explain that to your patients? And B, do you see that as being indicative of being able to, quote, unquote, flatten the curve as what they've been talking about as it relates to, you know, the the, the uh, amount of infections that are that are going on here, and and how does that help in a pandemic? Yeah, there's no question that it's working. I mean, we can see it in New York, and and why social distancing works is if you, it, I, I I'm obsessed with this viral load concept that yep, yep. the amount of virus you're exposed to. If you social distance, you're just not you're not re-exposing yourself to virus all the time. So I think that's part of it. Um, why it flattens the curve is if you're staying away from lots of people, you're not having a lot of people 
infected all at the same time, which is what the problem has been in New York or Italy and Spain, it overloads the hospital system. Um, so what the benefits of not flattening the curve, not, not what I'm suggesting, is what the only way we're going to get past this is, or on a, on a country level, is when we have herd immunity or maybe a, a, a vaccination. So I think the herd immunity will come about quicker because we've had so many infections, um, whereas a place like Australia, where they've managed it pretty well, um, but they're going to have years and years of probably smaller outbreaks and, and not so much of a problem um, because the herd immunity will take longer to build up. Brian, could, you, could, you, could you explain a little bit further on herd immunity? Just extrapolate on that? Yeah, I think what, what, what happens is, you know, let's say I have um, the virus and I give it to five other people and they develop an antibodies to it. And herd immunity means you become immune to it by developing antibodies. And I think a lot of us probably have them or have been exposed and have them just by being exposed to other people. The more people that have the, the antibodies, you know, the less of a problem it is. And I think the future of, of how we're going to stop social distancing and get back to life is actually probably measuring antibody levels. I mean, I think probably everyone should have antibody levels checked and that can determine you know you, you what you can do but we still don't know how effective those antibody levels are because i just saw something out of korea that people are getting reactivated so um but theoretically once you test someone and they have antibodies they shouldn't be getting the infection again theoretically but all things are off the the charts now, so I'm not sure what's what the story is with coronavirus, but that's the theory. So sorry, I'm I'm going off question here, <laughs> but but I think social distancing definitely works because you're staying in your own you know your own little circle, um, you're not spreading the virus, you're not being exposed to the virus, um, and with with less with a with a lower amount of people being infected in a small amount of time you're not overloading the hospital system which is what happened in new york and is probably going to happen in more and more you know places across the states in florida too i mean because florida didn't do social distancing i'm sure there're going to be more and more clusters all all throughout florida oh yeah which will overload the hospital system System. Right. So that's why the social distancing is so important. But but Bob, I have a question. What this viral load thing? Why isn't you know this is why I think these young doctors or doctors working on the front lines, especially without PPE, it's crazy. Are right. getting sick because they're exposed, or, or their respiratory therapists in particular, they're exposed to such a big dose of the virus that, yeah. you know, that that's hot. You know, if you have, it's like you know. We, we don't say that with toxins, but the dose is the, you know, the poison. What, what do they say? The dose is the poison. The poison is the dose the makes the poison. Yeah. Dose makes the poison. Right. Right. Uh, well, that, I mean, that's probably true for this particular virus is that, yeah. that infectious dose, you know, that, that initial exposure probably explains why so many healthcare providers are getting seriously ill, you know, which has happened all over the world. It happened in China, you know, the, 
So in China, they said, well, it mostly affects old people and healthcare workers. You know, these healthcare workers were younger. Well, they're, you know, they're getting blasted with these aerosols. Um, so, you know, the, the real question is, how much of a virus can you be exposed to without getting sick? And, you know, it's going to take a while to figure that out. But if we knew that, um, that will answer questions like, well, is it safe to go for a walk if you're wearing a bandana? If you're not wearing a surgical mask or wearing a, a bandana, which presumably still gives you some exposure, you know, is that, is that really going to help? Um, I do want to point out something one of my patients said to me yesterday, which he said, look, look, Bob, let's just clarify. We're talking about physical distancing, not social distancing. He right. said, I don't want to give up the social stuff because, you know, <laughs> I enjoy having my connections with you. And, you know, more and more people are doing exactly what we're doing right now, uh, you know, which is talking by Zoom chats or, you know, telephone, et cetera. I've even seen some bands do concerts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. amazing, like how they time that so that they're actually playing together. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of our mental health, like as we physical distance, we need to figure out how to shorten the social distance, exactly. but increase the physical distance. You know, I think that's one, that's a really important point. I think a really important aspect of staying healthy, staying connected, and you know that I, you know, becoming lonely and depressed and being by yourself or not connected is an issue. So I think it's a great point. You know, it's about physical distancing, not social distance. The bad so thing. now, are you guys are you guys doing a lot more telehealth now? Are you doing a lot of your consults, uh, you know, on Zoom, on you know, Skype, uh, things of that nature? Are you finding that to be a way that uh, you and other professionals are like kind of adopting an online practice, so to speak? Yeah, we don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the way it is. I will say that um, when, I, um, when I first uh, decided to switch over, you know, which wasn't a hard decision, but said, okay, I've got to see people, you know, from home. Um, I thought, well, I'll just, call them on the phone you know we'll just have a telephone conversation which i've i've done on and off for years but then i've gone back and forth between like doing a skype call or a facetime call and there's really no there's no uh question that being able to see the person yes. you know see what they look like it's it's a huge difference i would much rather have a video conference whenever possible yeah. absolutely yeah absolutely is there, so are, is there one thing you wish every one of your patients or everybody that you, within your sphere of influence, knew or kept in mind about this virus and, you know, what they think the next, what you think the next steps are going to be? Yeah, I mean, I think we've got to, some of it, a lot of it is out of our control and you've got to, you know, be aware of that, but there are lots of things you can control and your reaction to the situation is the most important. So dealing with the anxiety and the stress and, you know, moving your body, you know, taking sleep seriously is what a great time to, to, to learn to sleep properly. So all, all these healthy habits that we've been recommending for years, you know, good sleep, moving your body, dealing with the stress, whether it's meditation or yoga or whatever you use, um, eating well, all becomes a little bit more urgent now. You know, you can't do that. You know, 
the problem we're seeing in America in particular, in the, in the black and Latino communities and the poorer communities are, they unfortunately eat the ultra processed foods because the food industry makes it so cheap and that's what they can afford. So this is, you know, I'm hoping this is a, a, a time that we can, in the culture, look at all these issues, why this is happening, you know, what foods are people eating? What is the food industry feeding us? And all, you know, you know, seeing what's important in life, you know, getting your priorities right. I mean, I think this is a real good time to, to reassess not only your own life, but, you know, what's going on in the culture and, and how we can change things moving forward. Because I am 100% sure this is not the last virus we're going to have to deal with. These are going to be coming whether it's next year in five years time, we don't know, but this is going to be happening. So we need to, you know, be able to be strong enough and strengthen ourselves in a way that we're going to have to deal with it. This is just the new reality. And uh, we're all going to have to deal with it. And um, hopefully what Bob and I have been teaching for years permeates the culture a little bit more. Hopefully the food industry changes. I doubt it, but you know, we hope that hopefully people's priorities about what's important in life changes. I mean, these are all more, you know, philosophical concepts, but I think this is a good time to start thinking about it. We've got to do something different. You know, this this situation is forcing us to look at our values, and that's yeah. what I want every patient to really think yeah. about. It's like, okay, the world is going to be different. We don't know yep. what is going to look. There will be another side. We're going to come out the other side of this. Yeah. Right? There's no question that either we'll get enough herd immunity, we'll come up with a vaccine, something's going to change. You know, this is not going to last forever. The Spanish flu, I think, lasted two years, right? And then died down. Hopefully, this won't last that long, but yeah. it, it is a finite phenomenon. But what's not finite is what happens to our society on the other side. Yeah. And so we all need to be thinking about what that's going to look like and how we're going to live together as a civilization. We need to reevaluate the entire planetary civilization. This is, we don't have any choice but to do that. Right. I mean, right. I, just, I just saw ivermectin. Ivermectin. I the, saw that. I saw that. Which is interesting because I use ivermectin often as an antiparasitic and BCG, yeah. which, is a, which is what we all got in South Africa for TB. We all got BCG. Yeah. Uh, what is what is BCG? It's a it's a like a va- I think it's like a vaccine. We all got it in South Africa for the TB vaccine. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, um, Canadians all get it too. Well, okay. So, well, I, let's see, I'm wrap this thing up. So, Dr. Lipman, Dr. Roundtree, Frank, Bob, easier calling you guys that. Thank you so much for taking the time on a Saturday to join us and talk about this. Really appreciate it. All the best to you and your families. Uh, Stay healthy, stay safe, stay strong. Talk to you later. Love you. Thanks, love you too.